anything that you're facing today, our God is greater. Our God is greater. You believe that this morning on the Sunday after Thanksgiving? Amen. Still got the turkey hangover. Hallelujah. That's all right. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. And we're glad that you're here. I also want to say, Brother Cameron, we, we just want to reemphasize that if you are picking up an angel, uh, we would love for you to do that today and uh, put that in your hand. If you have any questions about that, please let us know and we will uh, get you the, the information as best as we can. We're praying for Pastor and Sister Neil and Molly. They're traveling back from spending Thanksgiving with Trey and Brooke. So we're thankful that they got to get away. Amen. And spend the holidays with them. And so we're just glad that you're here today. If you do not know me, my name's David Grigsby, and I'm glad to be at TPC. I didn't get a chance to testify on uh, Tuesday. I enjoyed that service immensely. And I just want to say thank you, TPC family, for loving me and my family and this year. And I think uh, you do not know how much that means to us. And so I thank you for that. Aren't you thankful for your church family? I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, a very familiar text. If you've uh, heard Isaiah 9 and 6, you've, you've heard this text before. You've probably seen it on a Christmas card, one or two in your lifetime. But uh, I believe that the Sunday after Thanksgiving is a great way and a great day for us to turn our hearts toward Christmas. Amen. The beautiful thing about Christmas is this, is there are some very valuable, deep theological truths that have to do with our walk and understanding the gospel that if we don't understand during the Christmas story, then the rest of what we believe may not make sense. So I think that Christmas is one of the greatest times that we can preach the simplicity, the awesome wonder of who Jesus Christ is. Amen? So we're going to dive into this today. Isaiah 9, 1, reading to you for the New King James, and you'll have to excuse my voice. I've grown pretty sick in the last 24 hours. I'm not running a fever. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm not viral, but uh, my voice is not the best. So I apologize in advance. Everybody say, nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavenly oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death Upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of the harvest. As men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of the oppressors in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel for fire. Verse 6. For unto us, what? A child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace, and of the increase of the government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Go back to verse 1. There's a, it just starts off with this one word, and that's what I want to talk to you today about. Nevertheless, nevertheless, look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, it may look impossible, but when God's involved, it's never impossible. You believe that? Nevertheless, Lord, I pray right now that you speak to us. Touch my body, my lungs, my throat. I pray, God, that just become your words, your thoughts. Speak to us in this season, this time. Encourage us, strengthen us. Allow us to see the grandeur and the wonder and the glory of who you are in this season. In Jesus' name. If you're thankful for Jesus Christ coming in this season, put your hands together one more time. You can be seated. There's a lot of traditions when it comes to Christmas. How many of you already have your Christmas tree up? Don't lie because I've seen it on Facebook. Hallelujah. Some of you were out shopping on Friday. I see you. Uh-huh. There's all kinds of traditions decorating our homes, foods, drinks, eggnog. How many eggnog people we have here today? Hallelujah. Glory. We won't ask for the ingredients, but we're glad you're here. Hot wassail, hot chocolate, all of those things. This time of year invokes memories of Christmas's past. I was sitting at the table this week with my parents, and we were talking about Thanksgiving's past and Christmas's past. One of the best trips I ever had was in Colorado. I think they have the picture here. And we woke up on Christmas morning. And that's pretty good scenery, ladies and gentlemen, for a boy from South Texas. It was a white Christmas. We spend these times and these mornings and these moments and these traditions interweave themselves into our life. And all of us have these types of memories and traditions. Not only are there many traditions at the heart of Christmas, but there are also many important theological truths at the heart of Christmas. Everybody say truths. For this, we reach back over 600 years before the birth of Jesus to the prophet Isaiah one of the most important messianic prophets of the Old Testament. You see, Christmas contains several important spiritual truths that you cannot get a hold of if you do not see this one first. And that truth is this, ladies and gentlemen, the world is a very dark place and we will never find our way out without a source of true light. And that source will never be found in the things of this world that source can only be found in Jesus Christ. Amen? How is this world dark? The Bible, the biblical word for darkness, several terms, but usually refers to both evil and ignorance. It means that first the world is filled with evil and hate and untold suffering, inexpressible injustice. If you look at what's happening in the time of Jesus' arrival in the New Testament, violence, injustice, Oppression, abuse of power, poverty, families ripped apart, and endless grief. That kind of sounds familiar. Kind of sounds like the world that we're living in. In other words, 
And the only way that our world is in darkness is to understand, another way that we understand that our world is in darkness is we understand that there is no cure for the suffering that is in this darkness. If we look at chapter 9, we must actually go back and look at chapter 8 and verse 22. Otherwise, we cannot understand chapter 9. And at the end of it, it says, They will be enraged and curse their king and their God, and they will look upward. Verse 22. And they will look into where? Into the earth. Everybody say, into the earth. And what will they see in the earth? They will see trouble. They will see darkness. They will see doom and anguish, and they will be driven into the darkness. Where were they looking for their relief? They were looking toward the earth. They were looking toward the things of this life and toward the things in this world. But what does God promise through Isaiah's prophecy? Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. The people who have walked in darkness have now seen a great light. At the end of chapter 8, we see the Israelites and they're crushed under famine. They're crushed under bondage. They're crushed under all sorts of crushing social and psychological and emotional issues. And they're spread out and they're running everywhere. They're looking for the great intellectuals of the time. They're looking for the sage and the wisdom to rise up. They're looking for the mediums and the spiritualists and the channelers. We would call them witches. And they're trying to find an answer to their problems. And what is the the answer to the problems. The more they look into the world, the darker that they see that this world really is. Then chapter 9 starts with a very powerful word. Nevertheless, there is a light that is about to dawn. And it's not a light that can be developed. It's not a light that can be created from within. It's a light that must be discovered. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the message at the heart of Christmas. It's from beyond us. It's God intervening for us. It's God interrupting into our situation to bring light from the outside to the inside of our darkness. Yes, things are dark. Yes, this world looks like there's utter darkness. But we look away from the earthly realm and we find release. Not in the darkness, but nevertheless, we find our answer in a place called light. This story is so miraculous in every way uh, that it could have only come from the mind of God in eternity uh, before the foundations of the world uh, were laid out by his mighty hand. Uh, it points to a divine imagination uh, and screams for the power of a divine hand. Uh, no man could write this story uh, or organize this plot. Uh, and even if he could, no man could expedite what he has written. Uh, God could have easily left us uh, in our cosmic betrayal trail and sin uh, setting in darkness uh, in the garden uh, his response could be one uh, of it doesn't matter anymore uh, they've messed up uh, but the bible says nevertheless uh, his response would be one uh, of great intervention uh, and great grace he would do in grace what the law could never do. He would do in grace what we could never do for ourselves. Stumbling around in the dark for ourselves. It may look like that darkness would overwhelm us. But in the midst of our darkest hour. Who am I preaching to today? That God found you in the middle of your darkest moment. I said God found you in the middle of your darkest moment. God found you in the middle of your darkest time. 
in the middle of a circumstance or a situation that looked impossible. But the God of the universe showed up and said, nevertheless, nevertheless. All the philosophers and the intellects of this world cannot produce the solution of this darkness themselves. In fact, if you read throughout history, all you will find is a very dark view of the world. This text is letting us know that the light of truth and revelation has to be discovered. And the way out of darkness has to be discovered and encountered. It is encountered through a man, Christ Jesus. I know that Christmas, ladies and gentlemen, and I love Christmas. Don't get me wrong with what I'm about to say Christmas is about fun and songs I listened to Christmas songs on the way over here last night it's about the lights it's about the food it's about the beautiful time of year it's even when grumpy people put a smile on their face but also at the heart of Christmas is a message of unparalleled hope Christmas is telling us that there is something abstractly wrong in this world and abstractly wrong with our hearts in our minds and it should be sobering to us that you and I cannot save ourself but nevertheless I said nevertheless the God of the universe stepped into darkness with his great light Our current world seeks to understand its problems and analyzes them incessantly and believes that it understands them extremely well. But this world still cannot find the solution to them. That's why this world that we're living in uh, is a dark place. If you look at this chapter in Isaiah 8, uh, you would see where they went to the mystics. They went to the astrologers. uh, They went to the channelers. We're told by the Apostle Paul that the Greeks sought wisdom. They weren't all big on mysticism. They weren't big on politics but they were big on seeking out the intellect of the mind but the Jews of Jesus' time were not that way they were looking for leadership they were looking for someone to rise up they were looking for a political a socio-economic leader who would rise up that's what they said this is what we really need that's why when they looked at Jesus and he turned his back on them when they tried to make him king in John 8 they did not understand the kingdom that he was king over and ruler over were not the things of this world but the kingdoms of this of our heart and this is what this world and the same in our world that we're living in today is looking for the same thing in the same places intellectualism philosophy politics all of us many people so many people tie their success to the things of this world but let me tell you something ladies and gentlemen the things of this world are going to fail you and they're going to let you down I said the things of this world are going to fail you and they're going to let you down. Anything that's not Christ Jesus is going to eventually let you down. I don't know how, I don't, it doesn't matter how good it is and how powerful it is and how wonderful it is. It's eventually going to let you down. And the more that they looked for them, we look for them five, six millennia now, and it's not getting any better. After a while, you become aware that you're surrounded by darkness. And the more that you look, the darkness has become utter darkness. But there's a spiritual truth at the heart of Christmas, and it is truly this. Unless the God of the universe has come as light to step into the darkness, there is no hope. Our only hope, ladies and gentlemen, is a Savior. 
And that Savior was God himself. He wasn't a part of God. He wasn't a junior God. This boy in the manger was the incarnate creator of the universe. Emmanuel, God with us. The only one suitable enough to be the light that is needed in the darkness was the God who has all wisdom, who has all power, who is all righteous to accomplish the task. And that is God alone. And in our world in the lives of the people that are around us, we understand that they're trying to attach themselves to the things of this world. People run and they will try intellectualism. People will run and they will try the mystics and the soothsayers. People will attach themselves to the philosophy of pundits and politics, uh, therapies, all of these different things. Why are they running to those people and those things? They're trying to find the meaning of life. But there is no light in those places. Let me say that again. There is no light in the, in those places. We attach ourselves to this idea of understanding this life that somehow it's eventually going to, and we have this pie in the sky kind of mentality, this philosophy that is exuded even into the church. But let me tell you something. The true message of Christmas won't let us get away with that because Christmas is not just about sentimental thoughts and memories and philosophies uh, of trying to console ourselves with a good cup of hot chocolate. Uh, no, Christianity at Christmas uh, is far more realistic uh, than any non-Christian philosopher or any non-Christian is really prepared to be. Uh, real Christianity would say, never say things like, oh, things aren't that bad. Uh, no, real Christianity will say to you, uh, things are just as bad as you thought uh, and probably worse. Uh, but guess what? Uh, never Nevertheless, nevertheless, nevertheless. This is the comfort that is at the heart of Christmas. If God has actually done what Christmas says he has done. Emmanuel, God with us. Friends and loved ones here today, those who profess to be believers is there any way in your life that you're trying to deal with the problems just as the unbelievers are dealing with their problems? The non-Christian way is to deny the reality of the darkness. Oh, things aren't that dark. And a non-Christian way to deal with life is maybe to go on a walk on the beach or go for a workout or binge watch Netflix or self-medicate with food or drink or buy something on Amazon. And if I do enough of this over there, it will let me forget about the reality that's over there. What are we doing? Whatever they can do to become less aware of the reality of the darkness because they have to deny the darkness if they cannot see the light. They are seeking an alternate reality by distraction. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? The enemy doesn't even have to defeat us if he can distract us long enough. If he'll distract us long enough, we'll begin to deny our reality. And some of us are so tied into a media, political, culture, hype machine that we have rendered ourselves useless spiritually by our own doing. But how many of us so-called believers are dealing with darkness as well? How many of us who are Christians here today are dealing with the reality that things are just not as easy as they may seem? 
Can we look at the reality of the darkness and say, because God has become Mary's son in Bethlehem and the story did not stop there, but outside of Jerusalem on a rugged cross and an empty tomb. And because of the light and the hope and the grace of the gospel, this morning I can look into the darkness and I can say with hope, just like Isaiah, and I can say nevertheless, because he has overcome the power of sin and death and hell and the grave I can say nevertheless I'm not denying the reality of the darkness I just happen to believe that the light of who Jesus is and what he has come to do is greater than the darkness in this world This is the message uh, that gives us hope. Uh, This is the message uh, that gives us life. Uh, This is the message that will give us the ability to stand uh, in the weariness of this world and face the things of this world uh, and say that my hope uh, isn't something that I just discovered uh, on the inside of myself uh, or in a book of intellectualism or wisdom. No, uh, the light and the power of the gospel uh, invaded my life uh, and changed my my heart how many of you believe in the power of the gospel I said, how many you believe in the power of the gospel? We sung about it in the second song today. Uh, what did that song say? It says that darkness has been vanquished uh, by light. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the hope of the world uh, is still Jesus Christ. Uh, I said the hope of the world uh, is still Jesus Christ. Uh, and the hope of the people that are around you uh, is to be a reflection uh, of the light of the gospel uh, that's burning on the inside of you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it says here in the very first couple of verses of Isaiah 9, in the past he humbled the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. As many of you know in this time, especially the Old Testament, Galilee was despised, especially Nazareth. The place where Jesus grew up and came from. In fact, there was a common saying that said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a backwater town. It was a town across the tracks. It was a small town. Nobody wanted to say that they were from Nazareth. It was in a part of the country that was actually closer to the land of the Gentiles. That's why Isaiah is writing here. He was despised by everyone. In fact, every time there was an insurrection, every time there was an invasion, it was this area that was always invaded first. And so the, the saying would come about, nothing good can, come, can happen here. And we know what the face in the intellect of this world would say that great things don't happen in little towns like Nazareth, like Bethlehem. Great thoughts aren't thought in little towns. Great events don't occur. Great people don't live there. In fact, if you want to see great things happen, move to New York or Tokyo or L.A. or Paris or London. So here's what God does. Hear me very carefully. God makes sure that he comes to us in a little baby born to poor parents, born to an unwed mother in a feed trough and is raised in Nazareth. And so every time that anyone says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Here is Jesus. And on that Bethlehem morning where he was born because 
He had to go to Bethlehem. Joseph had to go to Bethlehem to be taxed and accounted for the census. But on that Bethlehem morning, who was the first people that were invited? Actually, the only people that were really invited to that first newborn's cry. It was shepherds. The most despised of all vocations in Israel. So despised that a testimony of a shepherd could not be used in court because a shepherd was considered unreliable. Nobody respected the shepherds, but God, through the angels, does what? He invites the shepherds to the birth of Jesus Christ. They're the ones who come to the party. Why would God do this? Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. So that's the message of Christmas. Not only that God brings light out of darkness, but God does it in most unlikely and unexpected ways. Why would he do that? This is where it applies to us. Why would he do that? This is the promise that we have out of this message. This num- Number one, it doesn't matter how hopeless your situation looks. You see, we are in a world that is always writing people off. They're counsel- canceling them. We live in a world of cancel culture. And it's funny to watch people predicting things almost constantly. Everything from who's going to win a football game to how long the recession may last or who's going to be voted into office, all of these things. And people are always writing things off. That kind of person can never change. That kind of situation can never be improved. That kind of condition is hopeless. That kind of addiction will never be broken. And we're always writing things and people off. And so I believe that God in his wisdom to get us off of our high horse of intellectualism and where we feel like that we have all the answers, loves to go into situations that look the most hopeless and the most unlikely and the most unexpected and do the miraculous. So does it matter where you're from? Does it really matter what you've been through? Uh, Does it really matter what you have done? Does it really matter how hopeless your situation here? Uh, Here is the good news, ladies and gentlemen, uh, on this Sunday after Thanksgiving. Uh, God loves to start with people like uh, us. I said, God loves to start with people like us. It looks dark, nevertheless. Your family has written you off, nevertheless. You've been struggling with an addiction, nevertheless. You've been wrestling with depression, nevertheless. Your job looks like it's not going anywhere, nevertheless. Your marriage is falling apart. Your children have walked away, nevertheless. You're struggling in your health with a bad doctor's report, nevertheless. Nevertheless, the light has stepped into darkness. Oh, if you believe that today, you should put your hands together right now. What are you saying, David? I'm saying with God, absolutely nothing is impossible. No situation, no circumstance, no person, no no ideology. Nothing is impossible with God. Look at your neighbor and say, he's talking to you. Come on, slap him upside the head and wake him up and say, uh, if he can save me, he can save you. Huh? 
I said, if he can save me, he can save you. Where did God deliver you from? God delivered me out of my religiosity sitting on a Pentecostal pew. God delivered me out of my backsliddenness thinking that I had all the answers. God delivered me out of a point of depression and suicide. Come on, somebody. I said, come on, somebody. I was in the darkest point in my life in 1996 wondering if I could commit suicide and still be saved but God put his hand on me and said son I'm not done with you yet I'm not done with you yet nevertheless I said nevertheless it doesn't matter how dark it looks there's a light that's coming how many of you are facing an impossible situation right now Come on, how many of you are facing an impossible situation? You're not afraid. Come on. In fact, stand on your feet right now. If you're facing an impossible situation that you know only God can work out. Come on, this is who I'm preaching to. I said, this is who I'm preaching to. I've come to give you hope this morning. I wish I could finish the rest of this, but I don't have time. I've come to deliver to you a hope. It looks gloomy. It looks defeated. It looks uncircumstantial. It looks chaos and it looks like it's all against you but there's a God with a supernatural power that can step into the middle of your situation and say nevertheless <laughs> nevertheless you can all stand I don't have time to finish this but let me tell you something about the way that God works God works in mysterious ways. And the Bible says that it looks like foolishness to men. I said it looks like foolishness to men. How many of you today absolutely need a miracle in your family, in your home right now? Walk to the front of this building. Come on, I believe the God that I'm preaching about is real. How many of you are ready for a testimony? Amen. Not just a prayer request. Anybody? Walk to the front of this building. Come on. I know the prayer team is here. We're going to help you. You're going to help us out. I believe that God sent me here with this word this morning. And maybe I'm only preaching to the people in the front, and that's okay. Preaching to myself. But let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how endless the possibility looks like. God is still able. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things. You still believe that word? I still believe that word. Say, David, what do you do when you pray? And God doesn't work it out like you think you should work it out. Then that's where the trust is. I said that's where trust is. We have to trust God to the fact that he's sovereign and he does what he wants to do. But I still believe the Lord quickened my spirit yesterday as I was driving over here. I was driving over here late last night. It was so sick. The Lord just quickened in my spirit and he said, David, do you still believe? That I'm the God of nevertheless. I said, yes, Lord. 
Yes, Lord. I'm facing a situation right now in my own family, my own home, my own life, that I need God to move and work. And you know what, Brother Whitman? I'm not giving up till I see his hand at work in my life. I wonder what would happen this Christmas season if we turn this not in just to a celebration of Christmas, but we turn this into a revival of faith. Come on. Somebody with me this morning? I said, what if we turn this in? What if we turn December into a revival of faith? The God who showed up in Bethlehem, wrapped in humanity. The God who could say, if I did this, I can do anything for you. I didn't get to finish this, but hear hear me very carefully. The reason I believe that the Lord shows shepherds is all they could do is come with their worship. See, if that had been us, we've been trying to think about the best gift that we could bring and all of those things. We've been trying to think about, Brother Cameron, all of our PhDs and MDs and all of our accolades that we could bring to the Lord. And the only thing that the prerequisite was was shepherds with empty hands and a heart of worship. And they saw one of the most glorious sights that the world has ever seen. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger and ten thousands of angels in a night sky declaring the glory of God. That joy and hope has now come to a world filled with darkness. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning, but there is somebody here Today, you have a desperate, desperate situation and you need God to change it. I believe that this Christmas 2022, God's going to change it. How many of you have faith to believe that right now? Could you just reach over and put your hand on their neighbor's shoulder right now? We're going to come into agreement. I wish I had the strength and the energy and I apologize to preach this but that God is here to do a work that only he can do I can't manufacture it this is a season the rest of you could you just extend your hands toward the front of this building right now if you're here filled with faith I wonder if we could just begin to declare right now Lord this is my season this is my season to see an answer this is my season to see this situation change This is my season, God, to see the darkness of my life filled with light, God, right now. It looks impossible to this world, but nevertheless. I said it looks impossible to this world, but nevertheless. Nevertheless. I believe you're about to step into our darkness, Lord. I believe you're about to step into our darkness, God. I believe that we're going to see signs, wonders, and miracles in this season that we've never seen before, God. Come on, pray for that person standing next to you. God is about to lose. I've got an expectation. I said I've got an expectation that God is about to move in a way that you've never seen him move. How much faith do you have? It just takes a little bit. Nevertheless, God, work it out. Nevertheless, God, do the work. Right now in Jesus' name. Right now, we pray over sons and daughters to come home right now. 
situation right now in Jesus' name. Sickness and disease, God. This is our season of the miraculous. This is our season of the miraculous. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I believe you're going to do it, God. got your hands raised right now we're not going to beg lord we're just going to confess could you let that confession just come out of your mouth what does that mean david lord i thank you that you're healing my family right now i thank you whatever whatever the need is just thank the lord could it be just a thanksgiving lord i thank you you know the financial miracle that we need in our life i thank you god that you're our source and our supply lord i thank you god right now god for families being restored for marriages being healed lord the enemy would try to destroy our children try to drive them away from your presence god we thank you lord that you're gathering them we speak that come on could you let that confession come out of your mouth i thank you for an extraordinary miracle of healing i thank you i still believe that you're the god of the miraculous I still believe that you're our healer. I still believe that you're our provider. Come on, let that confession come out of your mouth. I still believe there's absolutely no one that's beyond the reach of your grace. I believe there's absolutely no one that cannot be reached with the message of the gospel. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We raise our hands one more time all over this room. Lord, we just thank you. Can we just seal this service in thanksgiving? Thank you. Thank you. Let that thanksgiving come out of your heart. Thank you. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Turn your neighbor and say, neighbor, I still believe in the God of nevertheless. And I believe he's about to interact with your situation. How many believe that God's given you a promise about something? Just raise your hand real quick. We're going home. How many believe that God has actually given you a promise about a certain situation? So hear me very carefully as they pray real softly and we're going to go home. If God has given you a promise, then his word cannot come back on that promise. You believe that? So somewhere in your future is the, and I, I want to preach this sometime, but somewhere in your future is the intersection of God's promise and your answer. And what happens is, is a lot of times we get weary because we got a promise, but we haven't seen the answer. I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, if you got a promise, you'll see an answer. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next week, but if God has given you a promise, hold on to the promise because your promise is going to intersect with his answer at the right time. I said at the right time. I said at the right time. We love you. We thank God. We're back to our normal schedule Wednesday night. Pastor will be back. We love you. Give some love away. Tell somebody to come be with us at TPC.